Are you ready for this? Is this okay That turned into a different song somewhere in the middle. Yeah, there it is. Hi, I'm Big. And I am White. And together, we are Big and White. And you are listening to the Big and White Podcast, a podcast where we explore what it means to be a foreigner in Asia. So what are we talking about today, Big? We are talking about, drumroll please, Yes. language. Are you surprised? I mean, never. I'm always ready. <laughs> Good. Uh, yeah, today we're going to talk about what makes something a language or a dialect and like language variation and stuff like that. So we hope you guys are ready to get down into some linguistics. It's going to be fun. Anyway, before we get into that, let's talk about our weeks. So what happened to you this week, Big? Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Yes, what? What? Okay, so for those of you who don't know, me, Big, I am in America right now. I'm in Oregon. And I have done some of the best America things already. Okay, I ate a burger. Oh my gosh. I drank kombucha. Oh. And I went to a thrift store where everything is 25 cents. 25 cents? Everything. It's only open on Mondays. <laughs> and it's the only thrift store in this small town area where I'm staying. So it gets all the good donations. So the stuff is actually good. Like you think 25 cents, you're like, no, that's going to be terrible quality things. There's actually good stuff. I've got a pair of used but still very good hiking boots for 25 cents. Ah! <laughs> I know. I, it's been interesting being here. So like the second day I went to the grocery store and I spent like an hour there because I was just don't remember what brands I like. You know, usually when you go, you're like, oh, I need shampoo. And you just go to the shampoo aisle and you just grab the one you always buy and then you keep going. But I stood there for like 10 minutes, like looking at all the different shampoos and like, well, I like this one, but it's a really big bottle and I don't need that much. And this one seems good, but it's kind of expensive, <laughs> you know, doing all of those things with every single item I was trying to pick out. So it was overwhelming, but also really nice, like to have all those great options. Yeah. But I'm also having to adjust to the idea that I can get things for cheap that are not new. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I keep thinking like, oh, I need a toiletries bag. And I'm like, well, I guess I got to spend $30 on Amazon. No, you don't. You can go to a thrift store and you can get one. And that is a thing. And it's so wonderful. And I'm so sorry to all of you who don't have access to thrift stores. Apology accepted. Including you, White. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So how about you, White? How was your week that didn't include a thrift store? I'm so it sorry. It was sad in comparison. <laughs> I'm so sad. Oh, no. No. Um, It's been okay. I had a very Nepal moment. Like the opposite of your America week, I feel like. But it just cracked <laughs> me up so much. So this just highlights Nepal in all of the best ways, I think. So I was at the ATM and I had to wait because the guys like putting in more money and fixing the machine were in there. And so mm. I was just kind of waiting. And finally, like they pushed the machine back in. And so it looks like it's good to go. And so I ask the worker guy in Nepali and I say, Bayo, 
which literally means like it happened and <laughs> he just did like a head, you know, a single head bob to the side, which means yes, sure. And so then I go in and then I get out my money and I come back out and he's waiting to make sure that, you know, like his job is actually done. And so he says to me, bio, it happened. And I do a single nod to the side. And that was a great interaction. And we both went about our days completely understanding what the other person needed and wanted. And our interaction was done. And it afterwards, it just cracked me up so much, like thinking, <laughs> what a silly conversation, like in English, you know, that because Nepali, you use terms like that to mean a variety of things. Like mm -hmm. you, it means like it happened or it's done or it's finished or right it's a high context culture right so you can say less and still get the same amount of meaning out because everyone sort of understands the context in which you're talking yeah it was amazing okay so let's talk about language yeah let's do yes i want to start with a quote because i think it's really funny so I'm reading this book by Ryan North, the author of Dinosaur Comics. If you guys don't know him, you should check him out. He has a book that is hard to explain. You should look it up for yourself. It's called How to Invent Everything. And the section is about language. And he says, We tend to think of language as something natural, some property of the universe that we're exploiting. But it's not. We made it up. And it's arbitrary. However, while the sounds you choose, the order you put words in, and the ways words can interact and change one another are all up to you, there are some reoccurring patterns that you might want to keep in mind. These linguistic universals, as they're called, are found in every natural language on Earth. And while they're not mandatory, people can and have constructed artificial languages that don't use them. They may make it easier for people to use your new language. So he's kind of talking about like the idea of what if you created a language, but I like his list of things that language help us do. Draw attention to ourselves, make noises or gestures precisely expressing nuanced emotions, <laughs> cry with words, <laughs> have ideas survive the death of their host, Ooh. conceive of more complex ideas than we could otherwise express, and Transmit complicated sentiment with a reasonable confidence of minimal loss, corruption, or misunderstanding of intent. Heck yes. Good, right? That's such a good list. I know. And that is, it is so true that we take language for granted. I mean, before I started studying linguistics, I had learned another language. It's not like I didn't know any other languages. Like, I understood the concept of, like, there's different ways to say stuff, but I just had barely scratched the surface of how incredible language is and how we don't even think about it. We just yeah. are constantly doing this insanely complex sort of abstract thing all the time. And we're making other people around us understand what's going on in our brain <laughs> yeah. or tricking them into thinking something else is going on in our brain or it's nuts, dude. Yeah, and you're constantly creating new words or, yeah. you know, making nouns out of verbs or verbs out of nouns. Right, and, especially in English. Yeah. We have so much flexibility, which is so fun. We can just do the craziest stuff and be really creative, and it becomes yeah. an art. I mean, that's why there's writers and comedians, and right? Yeah. Incredible. Yeah, so listeners, if you ever feel down on yourself <laughs> and feel like you're not where you want to be in life... 
It's okay. You're creating new things every single day. You are using because you can talk. Yes. <laughs> yep. Talk or sign or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's so interesting. I think something else that I have become really aware of after moving to Nepal is dialects. I mean, I know in theory there's different dialects of English, right? But talking to someone from, like, when I was in the UK visiting our friends, uh, one of them <laughs> has an especially strong accent. And we were on the subway, so there was a lot of ambient noise. And I was really having a hard time understanding what she was saying. So I was sitting there, and I was, like, listening so hard and focusing so hard. And if you've ever learned another language and gone somewhere and tried to talk with people, you know this feeling where it's like you're just straining, but you still aren't really getting what's going on. (laughs) And that's what I was feeling in my own language. It was still English, (laughs) and it was kind of surreal, but also a good reminder that language variation exists. Yes, absolutely. Okay, listeners, so to kind of warm you up to the rest of this episode... We're going to pose a couple questions to you and get your brains going. Okay, so question number one maybe is a simple one to you. I don't know. But how many languages do you think that there are in the world? Take a second now. Get a number in your head. You got it? Is the number there? (laughs) Oh, I got it. You should, like, message us immediately and tell us what you think your number is. Slide into those DMs. Uh, The nerdiest of the DM sliding. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. How many languages do you think that there are in the world, Big? What would you say to our listeners? Um, I actually don't know the exact number. It's, like, between seven and 8,000, right? Yeah. Isn't that – are you guys scared that, like – you know, we have hesitation about answering this seemingly basic question. That basically is our job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I would say around 7,000. Okay. Cool. It's seemingly simple, but actually more difficult than first appearances. But we'll get into that in just a second. Okay. So going from world, zooming straight down into our Nepal context. The most important context, obviously. (laughs) Obviously. That's all that we think about and actually what we do for our job. How many languages do you guys think that there are in Nepal? Think about it. Get a number. I'll give you a hint. It's less than (laughs) 7,000. And more than one. (laughs) And remember, Nepal is about the size of Tennessee, if that helps Americans with size context. Yep. Okay. So, White, how many languages are there in Nepal? I would say 120. Yeah. Plus or minus five. Yeah. (laughs) Depending on when you finish your report. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, so there could be 122, 123, but it's a lot. Like It is a lot for such a small country. And those, mind you, are languages, not dialects. Yeah. Separate languages. Yep. Which is so crazy. Like thinking about going to Tennessee and you go to Nashville and they speak one language and then you go to Franklin, which is a suburb of Nashville, and you can't understand their language. It's yeah, awesome. So crazy. So White, why are we not sure how many languages <laughs> there are in the world and in Nepal? Because we're dumb? No. <laughs> no. No. I hope not. 
Um, I mean, we are sometimes, but not in this instance. (laughs) So it's less to do with like the stereotypical, oh, we discovered another language like in the Amazon. (laughs) But it's more to do with kind of fine tuning that distinction between dialects and language. And it's complicated. It is. Yeah. Finding language boundaries is not as easy as you would think. So you might think of language as you know, similar to countries, like it has a little nice border and a boundary. And then once you cross that boundary, you're in a different language. And with languages that are not as related to each other, that's true. Like I'm speaking English. I'm not speaking Spanish. Okay. (laughs) Simple. But languages are more actually on a continuum. So going from one language to another very related language You have to ask, where does one language end and the next begin? Or where does one dialect end and the next begin? How different do they need to be to qualify as different dialects or different languages? Yeah, actually, when I was in my undergrad linguistic program, one of the first things that I learned in my intro class was this quote. And I don't actually know who said it, but pretty much every single linguist has heard this quote. But it's, a language is a dialect with an army and a navy. (laughs) Think about that for a second. (laughs) Yeah, it's so true. It's not just about linguistics that defines language boundaries. It's also about sociology. So actually, our job technically is called sociolinguistic survey. So when we're doing research on language varieties and helping decide whether or not they are dialects or languages, we take into account linguistics, but we also take into account sociology, which might include politics, that might include geography, it includes a lot of the people themselves who speak the language, what their perception is of other dialects, of their speech. Other varieties of their... I don't even know. I don't even know what to <laughs> Yeah. <call> it. <laughs> it gets complicated real quick. Yeah. Varieties is a good neutral term. Yeah. So for my survey that I'm doing right now, the language that I'm um, researching, they've been called a dialect of this other bigger language for a really long time. And so when I started my research, somebody from my language community came and said, what? We're not a part of this other language. Like they say that we are, but we're not. We're our own thing. And so I ended up doing a lot of interview questions about, do you think that you and this other people speak the same language? Do you belong to the same ethnic group? Um, How much of their speech can you understand? Like things like that to get like, yeah, what they think about the language situation and then also ask about language attitudes. So like, If you ask, do you speak the same language? And they're like, heck, no, we don't. We speak our own language. (laughs) Then that might be a good sign that you should label them as separate languages. Or it's at least one factor in deciding, right? Yeah. Because sometimes also there are factors like that when actually the languages are so similar that you just can't say they're different. Right, right. So... It's kind of a case-by-case basis, like you would do the interview kind of attitude questions, and you would also do more actual hard linguistics, I guess you would call it, Mm -hmm. like do wordless comparisons to see how similar vocabulary is. You could do intelligibility testing where you 
play a story in another variety and see Mm -hmm. how well people can understand it. You can do it with written text. Yeah. There's different ways to test. But yeah, so it's hard. And this is something that linguists argue about. I mean, (laughs) no one really agrees where language boundaries are. Often people have different opinions and the speakers themselves might have different opinions than linguists. And it's a very heated issue. Yeah. It can be very political also. I mean, in Nepal, for example, some languages are recognized by the government as being separate languages. And some are recognized as like needing more help or more assistance from the government than others. So there might be political motivations, you know, like, oh, well, if we're part of this language group, then we get like those special benefits or the special recognition. So then people want to be part of that group, maybe even if they can't really understand the other variety of their language or, yeah, there's a lot of different motivations that might go into why someone would consider themselves part of a certain language group. Yeah. Um, so let's back up a little bit. I mentioned before that language is really on a spectrum and it goes from very big to very small. So the biggest variety or category of a language is actually called a macro language. And usually the, actually, I don't know. Do you know the definition of a macro language? Uh, macro language definition. (laughs) A language consisting of widely varying dialects. A group of mutually intelligible speech varieties that are sometimes considered distinct languages. Wow. That's really helpful. Good, okay. Well, a a good example of that would be, I think it's um, Mandarin. That's one of the macro languages, or English is a macro language as well. So usually it's a very big language spoken by many, many people. And there's kind of controversy or disagreement about whether the different varieties of that language should be considered different languages or not. Right. Then the next step down would be language. Then the subcategory of that would be dialect. So usually uh, different dialects, people can understand each other pretty well. But there are significant differences. And some some feelings of identity differences. Right. Well, the so usually if there's different dialects, but they're all considered under one language, then their identity would be unified. Like, well, we all feel like we speak the same language, even though there's some differences between us. Mm-hmm. Right. Then, this is kind of a less official term, but I feel like a good way to think about the next step down would be accent. So I think most English speakers in the U.S. speak the same dialect. We use pretty much the same terminology for things. We don't have a lot of grammar differences, but we sound different. And you can tell that people are not from your own area. And so there's clearly some difference between our speech variations. One way you could describe that would be calling it an accent. Yep. And then the very smallest one, little baby. Yeah. Is an idiolect. Idiolect. (laughs) (laughs) So an idiolect usually refers to one specific person, but it can also be used to refer to a small group of people. And it basically means you're a weird individual way of talking. (laughs) Yeah. But you can use that like to defend why you're saying something like, don't make fun of me. It's my idiolect. And people will be like, uh, <laughs> just be careful how you and pronounce it. And other linguists it. will be like, oh, yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Well, let me tell you, my idiolect is weird from living in LA and then <laughs> Portland and then overseas. Yeah. <laughs> <It is> confused. <laughs> Mine started out weird because I grew up in a small community 
And then I have a big family, but we are like out in the middle of nowhere. And so we have like our own little idiolect within our family that I thought was normal (laughs) until I like went to college. (laughs) I was like, why don't you understand me? (laughs) Well, and your parents aren't from the area where you lived either. So yeah, right. Oh, man. So it's all kinds of things. It's all (laughs) kinds of confusing. And I love it. I'm so proud of it. I do find it delightful. It's very funny. (laughs) Okay. so. Shall we get a little bit introspective? Oh, I love introspection. So for our listeners, we're about to get down and dirty into some topics of accent and dialect and language and kind of we can wrestle with the spectrum that Big just <laughs> went through. Um, so I'm going to ask you guys, you listeners, do you have an accent? Do you think you have an accent? Do you have a dialect? What is your dialect? Do you have more than one dialect, more than one accent? Or do you think that you're accentless? <laughs> I hear this a lot, actually. It's true. We all think, well, how are we talk is the accentless way. Yeah. Especially in America, I feel like. Well, maybe the UK, mm. too. But like in America, they're like, I don't have an accent. Like, I speak the way that newscasters speak. Or just, I don't have an accent. Everyone else has an accent. (laughs) Yeah, which plays a lot into identity, let's just Mm. say. That means that you must be kind of proud of (laughs) your dialect. That's true. So, spoiler alert, you do have an accent. I don't know if you realize that based on everything we've said so far. Sorry if we let you guys down, Mm. all you speakers of standard English. (laughs) I mean, we Californians, we think we're accentless because all the movies are made in L.A., so. Ooh, good. Yeah. I think that um, most Southerners would never say that they don't have an accent. True, yeah. Because it's it's so so marked. From most media, right? Yeah. So next, more audience interaction. Get ready. We are going to play some clips for you of people talking. And for each one, we want you to try to guess where it's from, A. And B, ask yourself, how different is this or where is it on the spectrum from the English that I speak? So is this a different accent from my English? Is this a different dialect? Is this a different language? So get ready. You're going to play us the first clip here, White? In custody right now in England. And this morning he is battling extradition to the U.S., where he's charged with hacking U.S. military and diplomatic secrets. ABC's David Wright joins us now from London. David, you're hearing more about the question so many have been asking, why now? Okay, what do you guys think about this one? We started you off easy if you're American. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, where is this from? And is it different from yours? So what is that, White? So this would be what... Um, would be called standard American English or newscaster English. This is um, a clip from ABC News. Yeah, well, I don't actually know anyone who talks like that. So (laughs) I think standard or like newscaster English would be a good name for it. Yeah. Yeah. This lady probably doesn't even talk like this herself. Like she's probably from Kentucky and she has trained herself to speak like in this standard way so her voice so her speech isn't marked yeah this is such an unprofessional reference but i always think of anchorman you know (laughs) the main character she's like trying to become a famous newscaster and she practices what i don't know what she calls it accentless english or whatever it's amazing okay i'm ready for the next clip all right 
lungs or vapor, there are going to be some serious health implications that uh, comes with it. The use of electronic cigarettes has uh, become a hot topic between the public and the Department of Health. Its use has been brought into question following the government's attempt to regulate e-cigarettes. Oh man, that is a hard one. (laughs) (laughs) I put this in just for us. (laughs) (laughs) Well, first of all, where do you guys think this is from? And do you think it's a different accent from yours, a different dialect, or a different language? Like, do you think that she's from the U.S., first of all? <laughs> I do not <laughs> think I could have guessed this if I didn't know the answer, <laughs> because <laughs> I can never get South African English. That's where it's from. Yeah. Oh, it's so hard. Like, I feel like we always joke that if we can't understand or we if we can't guess where someone is from, we're always like, they're probably from South Africa. <laughs> it's so true. I'm always like, UK, no, Australia, no. Um, yeah, South Africa, it's got to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, if you're American, then it's a lot more different than the last video. But, you know, maybe you're thinking, well, you know, it's it's like about the same as my dialect. Like I'm I'm comfortable calling this the same language, maybe a different dialect, but definitely the same language. Or maybe you have really different opinions. I don't know. <laughs> All right, we're going to play the next one. I'm ready. Yeah, I can hire him and you're Saturday night. Right. I can't drive his mom out. I had to get out <laughs> Coral and cast that way all day. She was by the counter. She said, it's a lie away, Jack. I said, who's that, mom? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I have no idea what that is. Isn't that amazing? Okay, let me tell you my answer here. Yeah, I do. A, I don't know where that's from. And B, it is definitely a different language from what I see. <laughs> so... This is actually a dialect of English that is found in the U.S. What? No. Whoa. So this is an accent found in Tangier in Virginia. Oh. So, so on the east coast of the U.S. Yep. Yep. So on is it on an so island? So it's one of those island kind of dialects wow. that are just, you know, it's such a small community. Their idiolect. They've been able to develop. Just went crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's so amazing to me. So yeah, what do you guys think? Like, are you starting to have some trouble distinguishing between dialects maybe? Because, you know, like maybe you couldn't understand that. Did you understand anything that they were saying? (laughs) I didn't. (laughs) You know what, though? There is a concept that uh, one linguist named the one-week dialect. So he got stranded in Central Australia somewhere. I think he was American. and. When he first was in the town, he couldn't understand anything anyone was saying. Oh, my gosh. But while he was there for a week, while his car was getting fixed, he started to adjust and start to understand what they were saying. So it's like the language is different enough that you can't understand if you just met someone, but it's close enough that you can you can learn it quite quickly. Right. That definitely makes sense. So I feel like that. What's it called? Tangiers? Yep. I think Tangiers would be like a one-week dialect or maybe a one-month dialect. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. One of my friends who lives in Nepal is from Virginia, and she actually sent me this YouTube clip. Oh, amazing. (laughs) She was like, listen to this. Oh, we'll definitely put it in the podcast notes. Oh, for sure. Okay. Next. 
When we growing up, there was nothing. No television, no radio. There's that many of us in the bed, I used to have to sit up to get a rest. Freezing <laughs> nuts. No toilet, no nothing. When I growing up, right? Outside toilet, right? Yeah, I don't know how we come to it, no radio. No nothing. Well, if we get dark, go to bed and be up daylight. <laughs> Where do you guys think that was from? I don't know. Maybe the Canadians amongst us yes. would know. They might. <laughs> I don't know where that's from, but I can understand a lot more of that than the last one. Than I feel a lot more comfortable <laughs> calling that my language, but maybe a different dialect. Yeah, sure. So this is from Newfoundland, mm. up in the tippy top of the world. Those Newfies. Yeah. And this is kind of fun because, so this is a story that somebody collected as part of a video project. And um, this is the kind of story that we would play in some of our intelligibility testing that we would do here in Nepal. So maybe like if we as linguists wanted to see is Southern Californian English the same language as Newfoundland? And so then maybe we would go to L.A. and we would play this story from Newfoundland and we would (laughs) ask them comprehension questions. And if they understand everything that's being said in the story, then we're like, oh, yeah. I'd be comfortable calling this the same language. Yeah, usually the cutoff is around 80% for it being at least the same dialect. Like, we could share written materials or something. Yeah. We could listen to their radio and understand most of it. All right. You ready for the last one? Oh, I'm so ready. I like story click long. Long. One of me threw me bin. So I come walk. Long walk, long time talk. Me bin... Start walk along 1969, long moon May. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so where do you guys think that speech is from? Is it the same language? Did you understand anything that was being said? Or was it a different language? Okay, why stop keeping us in suspense. Where is it from? This is from Papua New Guinea. This is Talk Pizen. Which is a separate language from English. And weirdly, I felt like I understood more of it than the crazy island one. (laughs) Yeah, so I I included this because this is actually a Creole language, which is a whole other thing, which is kind of an amazing thing that language can do. Tell us, teach us. Okay, so let's say that you, an English speaker, go to... Australia, and you can't understand anything that either person is saying. So instead of just babbling and not getting any information across, you start picking different pieces of your language that are shared. So you use some words the same as another Australian person, and so you use those words, and then you also create new words. And in the end of that, you have um, something called pigeon. So you've created kind of like a system of speech so you can understand each other and get information across. It's kind of like a blend of the two languages. So it shares some vocabulary from one, some vocabulary from the other, but also like grammatical features too. So pigeon is like really, really simple. But then let's say that speakers of that pigeon have children and the children speak to each other in in that speech variety and they understand it super well that's like 
basically their first language. They create new grammatical structures and more and more people start speaking it. At that point, it's no longer a pidgin. It becomes its own language because it has native speakers. So at that point, it's a Creole language. So in talk pisin, it's, what is it? <laughs> it's English and what's it combined with? I don't know. Oh, man. It might. Is it a mix of different PNG languages or is it one specific one? I don't actually know. This was a bad example. <laughs> Editing big here. Turns out talk pidgin is based on a mix of different Pacific Islander languages. So it's based on English and draws vocabulary primarily from English, but also has words from German, Malay, Portuguese, and of course, Austronesian languages. Or like Haitian Creole, mm. right? Would be a combination of French and English. It's me, editing big again. We are bad at using the internet while we're recording, apparently. So Haitian Creole is a French-based Creole language, and it emerged from contact between French settlers and African slaves. It is based largely on French, and it also has influences from Portuguese, Spanish, English, Taino, and West African languages. So if you speak either of those languages, then it becomes a lot easier to understand Haitian Creole and start speaking it. Yeah. So it's kind of like that with talk pisin as well. We have some friends that live in Papua New Guinea and, and um, they speak talk pisin and can learn it pretty quickly because the grammar is pretty simple and there's a lot of shared words between English and talk pisin. Yeah. So they do language learning for three months and we do it for nine months to a year. Yeah, or <laughs> forever and ever and ever. But yeah, hopefully those clips kind of showed you how complicated the distinction between language and dialect ends up being like mm -hmm. is it a different language just because you can't understand it like the tangier virginia accent like would you consider that a different language are you comfortable just calling that a dialect is that a different accent or just because you can't automatically understand it is it a different language yeah i always think about because our part of our job is doing research to figure out where language boundaries are. So I often think of English because it varies so much throughout the world. Like, if English wasn't written down and we just went and surveyed it right now, how many languages would we say there are? Oh, man. <laughs> There's so many because it's so complicated with, like, language attitudes and politics. Like, if you go to Texas and you're like, do you speak a different language <laughs> than Minnesota? They're like, heck, yes, we do. We could succeed from the from the U.S. Like, we're our own thing. That's so true. <laughs> I feel like I would draw a lot of language boundaries around countries. Like, India, you got your English. Australia, maybe New Zealand, too. You guys are separate. Yep. U.S., Canada, like, you're over here. Yeah. Freaking South Africa and all your confusing glory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting, too. Like, in even in such a small area as the UK, there's so many different accents, right? And there's actually something called the Linguistic Center of Gravity Principle. And basically, it's related to historical linguistics. And some linguists study kind of like the history of language and are trying to figure out where languages started and where they kind of came out and evolved from. But yeah, actually, this is an idea that is used in other sciences as well, like especially biology evolution, but uh, it started with linguistics. I didn't know that. Oh, I didn't know that either. So the idea is basically that 
at the starting point of a language in time and physically, there will be more diversity. It's going to be denser in that place. So if you think of it like as a bomb exploding, like where you see the most shrapnel, the most casualties, that's where the bomb came from. And then as you go out from there, it gets more sparse, right? So same thing with language, which is super interesting. Yeah, so basically the way it works is that people migrate over time, and then as they do, kind of these separate languages break off. But those languages are newer, so they don't have as much time to evolve. In the origin place, the languages are older, and they've been separating for longer. Does that make sense? I mean, it makes sense to me. <laughs> so like within Paul, there's this language that I think we've talked about before. It's called Nawar. And they're kind of like the ancient people of Nepal. And they're mostly focused around Kathmandu Valley. And so originally, they made up three different kingdoms in Kathmandu, Patan, and Bhaktapur. And they were like warring kingdoms. But all of those places are like within five to 10 kilometers apart often. (laughs) So super, super close by. But between Kathmandu and Bhaktapur Newar today, it's really difficult for them to understand each other like the first time that they meet. The vocabulary is different. The grammatical structure is different. They would all still call each other Newar people. But they would say, oh, yeah, we we speak very different type of language. So looking at them, even if you didn't know anything about their history, you were like, ooh, I bet that they have been in Kathmandu Valley a long time because they're so close together, but they have such variety within their speech varieties. Yeah, so true. And with English, you can see it, too. Like UK, obviously, is where English is from. And they are super dense. They have crazy different varieties of speech. Then, for example, if you look at North America, U.S. and Canada, there is variation within this giant continent, but it's not as much variation as there is in the U.K., which is teensy tiny, right? Yeah. And then Australia, which is even newer than North America, people migrated there more recently. They have almost no variation. Yeah. And it's a huge country. I know. And they like so little variation that they argue about like specific vocabulary words like, oh, well, I call that cookie this. Well, I call that type of cookie this other name. And I'm right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's so fascinating. Language, man. Yeah. Language is crazy. All that to say, our job can be pretty hard. (laughs) Yeah. We just did this episode to get your sympathy. It's so true. So So I hope that we can leave off this part of the episode with a bunch of budding linguists in all of our listeners. Um, Yes. As you go about your the rest of your day, feel free to listen in a different way to your coworkers' speech, your parents' speech, your own speech, and uh, maybe think about kind of the distinction between your own idiolect, your accent, your dialect, the languages you speak, and who you speak them to. And please, next time you hear a stranger speaking with an interesting accent, just walk up to them, ask them where they're from, be as awkward as possible. Yes, that is the entire point of this podcast, to be as awkward as possible. 
And then send us your story because I always feel like doing that. And yeah. I am never we will enough. read it on the podcast, I promise. <laughs> Guaranteed. Okay. Well, I think it's time for our segment of the week. All right. Shall we? Okay. Take it away, White. So I am talking about the Avengers Endgame. Now, before all of you just turn off this podcast immediately because <laughs> you haven't seen Endgame yet. I haven't. Don't worry. I'm not going to do any spoilers. You Partially because I haven't seen very many Marvel movies. So <laughs> I'm just as confused as all of you who haven't seen it. Your spoilers wouldn't be very good anyway. <laughs> I'm like the big bulky guy. Not the green one, but, you know, <laughs> the, the white one. one. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so, okay, so a friend and I, a couple days ago, went to see Endgame in the movie theater here in Kathmandu. It was super interesting for me to see how Nepali censoring plays into American movies mm. that have their own idea about which words and terms are appropriate to use. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to try not to actually say any cuss words <laughs> during this segment because I don't want to have to label this as an explicit episode <laughs> and scare anyone off. <laughs> so Nepal censors movies. So that could mean that they bleep out words or it could also mean that they just put the fuzzy splotches in front of something. So, like, did we watch Wonder Woman together? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. So, we watched Wonder Woman, and at one point, Chris Pine stands up when Gal Gadot comes into the room, and he was, like, in a hot tub, and he stands up, and there's a fuzzy splotch in front of his crotch, and we were like, what? I'm so confused. Was he actually naked? Like, his hands were to not this there. Day, I still don't know. I still don't know. And I'm still thinking about it <laughs> regularly. Like, right. I feel like censorship makes you think about it more. Like, yeah. Not questioning. Whereas I never would have remembered that scene later. No. And, like, they'll also say, like, drinking and smoking is hazardous to your health in the corner of the screen. Yeah. And so then yes, you see that and you're like, ooh, who's smoking? Who's drinking? Where? Where? It <laughs> <laughs> just draws your attention to it. Yeah. My friend said he went to see a really violent movie. I think it was a Wolverine movie. And there was whole scenes that they just cut. Jeez Louise. Yeah. And you might not even know it until you watch right. the, the original he version. He said right? in that one, it was pretty obvious because it was just like in the middle of a fight scene. <laughs> like, oh, hey, <laughs> hey. <laughs> Yeah, so that definitely happened within Endgame. And sometimes it was kind of confusing. Like, they mostly, I don't know, they might have deleted scenes. I'm not really sure. But they definitely bleeped out words that they thought were not acceptable for the cinema. And funnily enough, like, they chose to not bleep out words that would have made sense for me to bleep out. Like, I wouldn't normally use in right. my daily speech, but then words that... I was comfortable saying they bleeped out. <laughs> so, so like they were not comfortable saying ass, which to me is not a very high grade cuss word. Right. It is a cuss word, but it's not that bad. No, like 
And so at one point in the movie, they were talking about Captain America's butt. And so <laughs> of course they, were. they said, yeah, that really is America's ass. <laughs> I think. I think that's what they said. But in the Nepali movie, they were looking at Captain America's butt and they were like, yeah, that really is America's bleep. <laughs> Oh, man. So what did they leave in? So they left in S-H-I-T. Oh. And they left in G-D. Okay. God dang. <laughs> Gosh darn it all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, which I feel like is, for me, they're, those are, that's way worse. Mm, interesting. But. Yeah, I can see that. But I know in some other, like, like my, um, some of my Norwegian friends were saying that S-H-I-T is not a cuss word. For them, when they're speaking English. Right. For them, it's like poop for us. Right. Right. Yeah. They don't have like a cuss word version. Yeah. That's actually a good point because it's interesting how people who are second language speakers of English or of any language, if you're working in a language that's not your first language, cuss words just aren't as visceral Mm -hmm. to you. Like you can know intellectually that they're offensive. But you're not going to have the same reaction that you do to a language that you know really, really well. And you might translate from your own language what's an okay swear word when in that language it's really different. So yeah, yeah, it's interesting like different languages have different contexts that are bad too. So like in English, a lot of our swear words have to do with body functions and sex. But like in French, for example, they have a lot of swear words that have to do with the Catholic Church. Oh. Like more religious things. <laughs> Or even like I was thinking the other day, I was in a language lesson and this isn't like a cuss word, but just like things that are kind of taboo to speak about in English versus Nepali. Mm. Like I think my language teacher was speaking in English to me. Um, He was testing me on some vocabulary words and the word um, for poop in (laughs) Nepali is Disa. Mm -hmm. And like in Nepali, it's totally okay. We've talked about this before, but it's okay to talk about, yeah, bodily functions like diarrhea and poop and pee and stuff. It's totally fine. But in English, especially with your teacher, (laughs) it's really, really weird. And so he asked me a question to gauge whether I knew the word for poop. And so he said, like, some, he asked me some question and I said, like, I couldn't say it in English. <laughs> I was like, um, do you mean, like, visa garnu ki? Like, do you mean, like, to poop? <laughs> That's so interesting. So I had to switch my language because it was kind of, it was so uncomfortable for me. I feel like it was okay to say it. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember one of my Korean friends saying that in Korean, she had a really hard time saying no. Oh, like it's just a more indirect culture and you basically can't just directly say no to anything, but she could say it in English. Hmm. So if she needed to say no to someone, she was such English. Interesting. It's also interesting how taboo words change over time. Like the worst English swear words from when my mom was in high school are no longer the worst ones oh. or actually maybe more common now. Yeah. So like the F word was the worst one then. No one would ever say it. But now, lots of people say that. I mean, it's still bad, but it's said. Whereas now, the C word is like, you don't say that one. Right, absolutely. So, yeah, there's like a lot, culturally, I think, behind what makes words taboo or not. Amazing. You kind of like end up reclaiming some of those words, Mm, like making them okay again. 
Language is cool. Language is crazy. Yep. And we love it. <laughs> yeah, we do. Cool. Okay, well, since we're in different time zones now, you should probably go to work and I should probably go to bed. Yep, I think so. All right. Well, <laughs> I guess I'm going to hang up now. Okay. I guess I'm going to finish my coffee. Uh, okay. Okay. Enjoy. Okay. 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 Wait. I mean, okay. you guys remember to uh, follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Remember to rate our podcast. Yeah. And um, uh, check out our Patreon. And, uh, Give us all your money. Yep. Send us emails. Big white podcast at gmail.com. Yeah. Tell us your language stories. Yeah. And uh, Big's gonna go to bed now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna finish my coffee. Yep. Okay. 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 Great. Okay. 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 Bye. 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 Thing. <laughs> and I had to focus. Did you hear that in the background? Was that like a small child <laughs> that came into your I house? I think that might have been Seth <laughs> shouting at the basketball game. <laughs> Sorry, Seth. You're not a small child. Okay. Um.